Welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Yes, uh, I'm your friend Nate Larkin here with uh, the inimitable, the unique, the irreproducible Aaron Porter. How you doing, man? <laughs> Irreparable. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or reprobate. I'm not sure. One of those. Yeah. All, all of those work. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm doing great. Uh I am I'm getting amped up because Abby has a free pass to Universal Studios and so next Tuesday I am taking her and Elijah down and I have not been to Universal Studios since 1983 or 4 wow when it, when it was the A team stunt show Yikes. so that that puts it in perspective <laughs> <laughs> so I I've heard that they, you know, have made some changes since like 1983. Because mm. that was that was always the waste to me back then. If you were going to yeah. go to a park, you go to Disneyland. Yeah. You, right. you know, if you want roller coasters, fine, go to Magic Mountain. But what the heck is the point of Universal Studios? Yeah. Because the, the biggest ride was that E.T. ride where you sat on a bike next to a green screen and you mm -hmm. got to see on a TV that you were flying. And that was pretty yeah. much it. That was yeah. the highlight. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm actually pretty stoked and she went last year so she's so excited to show us around the the hogwarts wizarding world and all of that so yeah so remind the listeners how old is abby she will be 13 in december okay so she's 12 and elijah's 11 so the perfect right. age for magic magic has not has not gone yet yeah yeah and how fabulous that they get to have this uh, experience with dad. And it's not just this isolated thing. It's not like dad has, has been gone forever and he only surfaces to take you to universal. This is the, this is the frosting on a pretty, pretty good cake. You're baking for those kids. I, <laughs> I admire you for it. That's great. Well, well, that's nice. Thanks. But yeah, yeah. I, I enjoy being with them. So it, it'll be good. It's nice to have something out in front of you to look forward to. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's, it's as as good or better than the thing itself, right? Ain't that the truth? You know, uh, I just made a hotel reservation last night for our stopover. Allie and I will leave a week from today uh, for a week down in Florida with our youngest grandkids. We're at the age where that's, you know, that's as good as Universal Studios for us. Just go play with those kids. Yeah, especially if you get to take them to Universal yeah. Studios. Then you can double down on that. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. And we, we will do something along the orders of, uh, I don't know whether we'll do Disney or Universal. Uh, we're more likely to do the zoo, but yeah, we'll have time with the kids. Very cool. Yeah. So I, I would say what's happening in your world, but we right now have so many recorded podcasts. I don't even know when this one's going to be going up. Yeah, I don't know whether this will go up in sequence. If it does, then our listeners will be expecting the straight privilege episode following hard on our uh, white privilege and male privilege episodes. Or possibly, uh, I'll put this up today, 
and then we'll start that series after this one. Who knows? None of this probably makes any sense to the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, that's all in your hands, Mr. Aaron. You, uh, you're the mastermind behind this thing. Oh, by the way, uh, I'm super excited. Let me go ahead and mention to our listeners that uh, along with David Hampton, who many of our folks know, he's appeared on the show a couple times. He's my Silas. David uh, and I uh, are launching this week. In fact, it's already available on iTunes, a brand new podcast uh, that is not sex addiction specific, nor is it actually uh, Christian specific. It's called the Positive Sobriety Podcast. It's aimed at men and women in recovery, regardless of their religious affiliation or spiritual perspective. Uh, we think this is a great open door. We can engage all kinds of people uh, if we're just willing to talk about recovery and uh, not from the angle of, uh, you know, how to prevent our using but what to do instead of using. So that's the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Nice. If you get your podcasts on uh, on the iTunes store, you can search for the Positive Sobriety Podcast and you'll find it there. Is this really, I mean, we're promoting another podcast here. Aren't we just supposed to go like, that's a good idea. We should steal that for five episodes. <laughs> there will be some sharing of guests. Uh, now it makes it even easier for me to recruit guests because I can I, I, I can get them into two different podcasts. All right. Yeah. So uh, three episodes drop uh, this week and we've got some others in the can. And uh, yeah, good stuff. Well, I heard that uh, from a little bird that somebody went to a virtual meeting this morning that was not their normal meeting. Yeah, uh, I did. As a matter of fact, uh, Tom Mocha, Dr. Tom, who uh, is the president of Samson House and typically does all the newcomer meetings, is on vacation this week. And so I've taken over the newcomer meetings, which has been a joy. I love doing intake anyway. And uh, I was on this morning, great meeting, had a guy in from China, a guy in from Canada. Um, and the topic was resentment. Wow. That's a guaranteed winner, resentment. Well, hey, instead of you talking about that, yeah, why don't we uh, take a quick break and come back with a mini-meeting? Oh, that's a great idea. Well, it's a really, it's a very much a mini-meeting. It's just you and me, but why not? Let's do it. All right. We'll be right back with a mini-meeting here on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome back to the Pirate Bunk Podcast. It is time for a mini meeting. <laughs> My name is Aaron. 
welcome to this mini meeting of the Samson Society. We're a company of Christian men who are also natural loners who have recognized the dangers of isolation and are determined to escape them. Natural wanderers who are finding spiritual peace and prosperity at home. Natural liars who are now finding freedom and truth. Natural judges who are learning how to judge ourselves aright. And natural strongmen who are experiencing God's strength as we admit our weakness. As Christians, we meet at other times for worship, for teaching, for corporate prayer. Today, however, we meet to talk. Our purpose is to assist one another in our common journey. We do so by sharing honestly out of our own personal experience the challenges and the encouragements of daily Christian living in a fallen world. Our faith rests in the love of God as it's revealed in His Word and in the life of His Son. We have reached the sharing portion as I scroll down. We fast forward through the meeting. We're already at the sharing portion of the meeting. (laughs) Darn it. It's not smooth. I should have figured out where that starts. Ah, we have now reached the sharing portion of our meeting. In sharing, we speak honestly out of our own experience. We tell the truth about ourselves, knowing that our brothers will listen to us in love and hold whatever we say in strictest Strictest confidence. confidence. Except when we talk to thousands of people on a podcast (laughs) we try to keep our comments brief and by the way that was an example of crosstalk Uh, we try to keep our comments (laughs) brief taking care to leave plenty of time for others we address our statements to the group as a whole rather than directing them towards any one person as a rule we refrain from giving advice to others or instructing them during the meeting believing that such conversations are best reserved for private moments between friends The suggested topic today is resentment, but we are not confined to the subject. You may speak about any issue that's currently commanding your attention. Okay. Well, I'm Nate. Nate? Yeah, I guess I'll kind of recap my share. I found myself saying things that surprised me this morning, uh, talking about resentment, because uh, right now it has reared its ugly head again. It's very much a current issue for me. And I, uh, I know from long experience and from the wisdom uh, that comes from, you know, our colleagues in recovery that resentment is extremely dangerous. It's, it's the number one offender. Um, and so I need to keep an eye on resentment. And it has been building for me. Um, I like to control my own life. I want to be in control of my own schedule and my own calendar. Um, I, uh, I want to know what's coming. I don't like uncertainty, uh, in the future. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I, I'm, you know, I, I'm pretty doggone self-centered that way. And I tend to get irritated. And if it continues, uh, resentful when, my life tends to go out of control because I've got to care for somebody else. And uh, so I share a home with a wonderful woman, uh, God's gift to me. Uh, Allie is fantastic, and she can also be uh, an inconvenience and a pain in the ass, uh, just as I can be to her. And... uh, it has uh, not, nothing that she's in control of, but the last few weeks, uh, she's encountered some real 
health challenges. We've had some scares. Two weeks ago, it was a nodule that showed up on imaging uh, that raised the terrifying prospect that she might have lung cancer. And uh, I found that uh, while we were waiting to decide what to do about that image, I, I couldn't keep my mind on anything. I couldn't work. Uh, uh, couldn't be creative. Uh, I was afraid and I was, I was angry about being afraid. This is a huge inconvenience. It's a disruption of my life. Uh, I was angry at my wife for being sick. And it's humbling, uh, to say that, but, uh, and it's disappointing to say that because I don't like to think of myself as that kind of person, but, uh, that's the truth. Um, we did get some good, good news on the nodule and some advice to wait and image again in another six months. But no sooner did that happen than the knee that has not been replaced, uh, began to give her tremendous trouble, just excruciating pain quite unexpectedly. And so yesterday we were at an osteopath scheduling knee replacement surgery. And I know what it's like to be the primary caregiver for somebody who's just had a knee replaced. Uh, I know uh, that I've got to, you know, cancel plans for travel and, uh, you know, I'll be housebound and she really is going to lean on me during the period of recuperation. The better part of me is grateful, first of all, that I am physically present in this house uh, that's a grace. That's a mercy. Allie should have kicked me to the curb long ago, given my infidelity. So it's a privilege that I'm even here. I'm also grateful that I have the capacity to be emotionally present with my wife. The fact that we're close, uh, in fact, those trials that we've gone through together in the past, past uh, the last few years have brought us closer than ever. Uh, that, that's the better part of me. Uh, but there is another part of me, and, I, and it's, that part of me is closely connected to that inner addict that is always, uh, you know, gasping for air, wanting to stay alive. There's another part of me that, um, that, that resents this responsibility and the way it's going to alter my uh, plans, uh, what's going to be required of me, the inconvenience. And um, if I keep that secret, if I don't speak it, if I don't talk about it and, and uh, go, go to God and go to my friends to help process and get proper perspective on it, uh, I can descend into a pit of self-pity uh, and resentment that uh, in turn can um, can build up a nice fund of entitlement. And uh, so I'll have license then uh, to head off for a nice, you know, juicy relapse, which I don't want. So um, it's it's hard to admit that resentment is even an issue for me. That was one of the big challenges early in recovery. I honestly believed that I wasn't resentful toward anybody because I saw, you know, anger as a character defect and resentment as an even worse, you know, failure of 
I don't know, something, some kind of a moral failure. Uh, and I actually thought that I didn't hold any grudges against anyone, that I'd never been angry, I'd forgiven everybody. And that was, uh, I had buried my resentment so deep that it uh, it was hard to acknowledge it. And yet it was fueling so much of my behavior during those years of active addiction. Uh, I would like to think that I have somehow outgrown the ability to resent anything and that I'm so spiritually mature and so grace-based and merciful, uh, so humble and, uh, you know, altruistic that I would never again um, become resentful. But that's not true. Um, I have a a well-developed capacity for resentment. And it requires, it's almost like cleaning out the barn. And I remember that, you know, as a kid, like if you grow up on a farm or around a farm, you got to tend to that barn or that stable. I mean, it's it's an endless job just to keep scraping out the shit, just clean it up, put some new straw down. It just accumulates. It does. And uh, in my life, uh, it's kind of like I've, I've got to be willing to go every day and kind of clean out the barn and make sure that that resentment doesn't build up. So anyway, uh, I'm resentful, giving that resentment to God uh, as best I can and asking him to relieve me of it. And I'm Nate. Thanks, Nate. Uh, Yeah, resentment. A a good, (laughs) as always, it seems like the most obvious topic uh, to be brought up when you said it. I thought of some Steve Taylor lyrics that have haunted me for 30 years. I was uh, late in high school, probably a senior, when uh, I picked up his album Squint, and he had a song called Cash Cow. Not my favorite song, but the last lyrics are this. Are these. I, too, was hypnotized by those big cow eyes, the last time I uttered those three little words, I deserve better. Mm. And for some reason, those, just the words, I deserve better as a gateway into bad things, mm-hmm. has stuck with me my entire life since then. And I, I had someone, uh, we, we do an exercise in soul architecture trying to understand our flesh monster what our flesh personality that's inside of us trying to woo us away from the gospel. And I had someone do that a couple months ago with me uh, so that they could practice. And I was super surprised at how much my monster had changed over the last 10 years. Mm. Uh, My monster was always about empire building and control and doing big things. And in the last 10 years, I've removed myself from that option in a lot of ways. It's just not a big part of my life. And so my flesh had to change its tact. And Mm -hmm. what I realized was all of that anger that my flesh tends to go towards uh, went towards the I deserve better and mostly with my family that fine, I'm willing to grocery shop, I'm willing to cook most of the dinners, but if you little bastards are going to leave plates all over the place because you expect me to go run around and be your maid as well, 
uh, I'm going to be furious. I'm going to be so angry. I deserve way better than that. I deserve mm. you to pick up your own stuff. I deserve you to recognize that I've worked 70 hours this week. And so when I come in, I don't want to hear about your stupid bickering about somebody borrowing somebody else's sweatshirt without asking. Surely you can work this out on your own. And so there was... <laughs> Sorry about that. There was a lot of uh, a lot of stuff that was getting built up that I didn't recognize because it felt justifiable. Uh, as if resentment doesn't always feel justifiable. <laughs> There's always a reason mm -hmm. for resentment. So even this last week, um, I I caught myself in that. Uh, my wife was having kind of a down week. She was feeling a little depressed, things like that. And as is sometimes the case, she came to me and explained that it was probably my fault because we weren't connected. And she gave a couple mm -hmm. things that, you know, more time, more taking walks, things like that. So I took it really seriously and did everything on the list she gave me that was going to make her feel better. And then guess what happened? She didn't feel any better and kept acting the same <laughs> melancholy way. And I, I was laying in bed one night just seething and went, oh, wait, this is really the beginning. I am now on the threshold of a, of, of a place I don't want to enter into. Yeah. This, this is what it is. I deserve better. I just spent seven days doing your list and now I deserve for you to act like a happy woman, just flitting about the house, jolly and gay. Yeah. And, and so I, I really had to, had to work, uh, knowing that it was my job to change my perspective. Mm. It wasn't on her to act different so that I could feel differently. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, definitely seeing that ongoing struggle. And these aren't those long-term resentments, I think some of which you might have been referring to in your life. Uh, I can build up resentment in about 30 seconds, <laughs> uh, which, is, which is inconvenient because uh, it's just always there lurking. So that's that's my dark passenger at this point in my life, the one that whispers into my ear uh, that that nobody else is doing as much as I am. That's I think all I have to say about that. Thanks, Aaron. Well, we've got a guest coming up, so we will leave it there and be right back with our guest here on the Pirate Monk Podcast.
Well, we are back on the Pirate Monk Podcast with one of our favorite guests. Uh, he drops by from time to time. Uh, Michael Cusick is with us from Restoring the Soul. Hi, Michael. Hey, guys. It's fun to be here, as always. Yeah. And uh, we always have such a stimulating conversation when you when you uh, join the show. I, I'll tell you what has really just jazzed me this week was I got a pre-publication copy of a new book. Jay Stringer, a therapist and a minister from Seattle with long experience in counseling uh, sex addicts, has written a book called Unwanted. How Sexual Brokenness Reveals Our Way to Healing. Uh, it's published by uh, NAV Press, and it comes out, it releases on the uh, 4th of September. Uh, and he, he says things like this. The journey out of unwanted sexual behavior begins by recognizing that your struggles may be the most honest dimension of your life. Your sexual struggles reveal your wounds, but they also reveal the trafficked longings of your heart. How's that? Holy smokes. Wow. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. I've never met Jay, but I, I've talked with him on the phone, and he has done a lot of research, not just in the clinical field, but also research uh, where he's uh, talked with and, and uh, done surveys with many, many men um, about their struggle. Um, and of course, he's a man. So I, I think this is one of the most comprehensive books that uh, we have yet seen in this process. And it's going to be a game changer for many men. But wow, what a sentence. I love that trafficked longings. Yeah, yeah. Here's another here's another uh, sentence that just rang my chimes. Um, true recovery is not about quarantine of the body, but about its restoration. A new sexual story is about inviting your body, heart, and soul into the fullness of nurture, sensuality, and eroticism. Healing is about passionate holiness, setting apart your body to experience lovely, passionate, and restful experiences. What does that, uh, wow. what does that provoke in your heart when you hear those words, Michael? Wow. The first thing is um, I've been... I've been doing a lot of reading, research, and thinking in, in some of these same areas of eros and sensuality and beauty, and especially the idea of embodiment. And uh, the training in the background that Jay has, to my knowledge, um, is really immersed in, in a validation of this idea of embodiment, that we are human beings in this container of our physical, material bodies, and that God uh, loves material. God loves body. And going all the way back to the Greeks, and then especially from the Enlightenment forward, there's this idea that spirit is good and body mm -hmm. is bad. Mm -hmm. And yet we cannot uh, begin to have any kind of transformation from addiction to freedom and from lust to love unless we somehow uh, develop an awareness of our body um, uh, an ability to care for our body and understanding how our body, specifically our brain, and how that creates anxiety and um, tension uh, and dysregulation and activation in our body, how that then triggers us to go 
uh, find something to medicate. So, you know, the ultimate trigger, as men are talking about their triggers, is not ultimately something external like a billboard or an email or being alone. The ultimate triggers are the things that are happening inside of us. And so I'm yeah. just I'm just thrilled for this book. And because I've been involved with the Heart of Man movie, I know that Jay's book is uh, a big part of the follow up for that. And I'm just so yeah, excited. yeah. I yeah. I, and what you're saying is is important. It reminds me of a little uh, debate I was in with one of our our friends here on the show, Tony Chris, Tony the Beat Poet, um, <laughs> and uh, the the final resolution of the conversation was the problem of thinking of flesh as bad that because I live in it how can I ever believe God loves me if he hates such a significant part of me and that that at the relational side of connecting with God and his love as daddy for us I think we kind of have to embrace everything you said and and even that quote understand that there is there is a sensuality. I love that he used the word erotic, erotic or eroticism, yeah. like because that's just such that's such a risky word. Christians can't reclaim the word erotic or eros. These are the pagan nasty bits, aren't they? And it's like no, God loves good sex. He loves us, and he put us in these bodies, and and we have to reconnect to him as we reconnect to us. Yeah. Um, Michael, uh, you've worked at this point with hundreds of um, recovering sex addicts. Uh, you've kind of seen by this point almost every permutation of the story. You've seen uh, the great many similarities and the great many differences among us. Um, and uh, you've done that not just in clinical practice, and in uh, you know one-on-one -on -one sessions and in group work uh, and in the intensive weekends that you do, uh, I'm wondering as you take a step back and you kind of look at this population as a whole. Uh, if I were to ask you to kind of describe the 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 typical person with a sexual struggle. How would you say, and let's let's just say for the for the sake of discussion that that person is male. What is the most common uh, attitude that that person has toward his body and his relationship with his own body, with his own physical experience? Well, first of all, it's interesting that you ask the question in terms of population, and and yes, there is a population where, and I include myself in this, we are definitely addicts in the truest clinical sense, but in terms of the population of people that struggle sexually, in terms of doing things that they don't want to be doing, I would, I would even venture that many unbelievers that have no moral constraint uh, against unbridled sex, that they find themselves doing things they don't want to be doing. And I think uh -huh. the attitude is uh, that, that the body is something that we either have to indulge or master. Mm -hmm. And those become... Um, a false and unhelpful dichotomy. Dallas Willard said it this way, that most people are caught between living in their brokenness and ceaseless striving, comma, but the gospel provides us with another way. Meaning that, that we don't have to indulge, nor do we uh, have to ceaselessly strive to master our sexual desires. I think the starting point is in any recovery of any kind is 
to begin to pay attention. Yeah. And as Kurt, Kurt Thompson talks about in his book, Anatomy of the Soul, for people with uh, any kind of trauma or addiction, his phrase that I just love is, pay attention to what you pay attention to. And most of us do not pay attention to our bodies. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget, uh, as a newlywed, uh, my wife and I, we had a very short engagement, and she said to me on our honeymoon, she goes, I've, I've never met anybody who's so disconnected from their body as you are. Wow. Um, you know, so one day, my my forehead was all furrowed up and, and scrunched while I was laying on the couch relaxing. And she said, why is your face all scrunched up? And I said, it's <laughs> not. And she said, just take a minute and focus on it. And sure enough, my forehead was just in knots. Um, I walk around currently and through most of my life with knots in my chest or anxiety in my stomach, a low-level sense of dread. And we just become accustomed to that. And then as men, we push ourselves with work and ministry and all kinds of things, believing that our bodies are, uh, you know, unconquerable. And we usually then get some kind of immune issue or exhaustion, or we we frequently get infections or something like that, or we begin to break down in other ways physically. And it's because mm-hmm. we push ourselves so hard. Yeah, 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 mm-hmm. yeah. So go back to that the that first thought of what what does the third way look like for a person who is struggling with whatever their unwanted sexual acting out is what what is the third option between mastering and indulging yeah well aaron i'm glad you asked that question because i have an acronym Uh, (laughs) and, and this is this is something we've been doing with our follow-up uh, with men who attend our Surfing for God Weekend Intensive, and it's I care, I-C-A-R-E, which is a, a cute little way of saying uh, that I'm caring for myself. The I is intentionality, and I stop right there, and I, I try to redefine intentionality because most guys are like, yeah, yeah, I've been intentional before, and they kind of fall into the category of a New Year's resolution. And I actually looked up the word intentionality in the dictionary, and it talks about a mental determination, which is simply like me saying, um, I have a friend in New York City, and I'm going to visit them one month from now on Sunday. All it is, it's not a commitment of the will. It's a determination. It's looking at an end point. And I think that that helps men just to say, what is the point out on the horizon that I want? And most men will start with, well, I'm masturbating or I'm acting out sexually, and my intention is to not do those things. Instead, the point on the horizon is my intention is to learn to pay attention to my body, to regulate myself, to learn how to self-soothe, and to learn to be present. So I is intentionality. C is center. Can I just pause to restate that I think you just said, if we're honest with ourselves, we can have a lot of intentionality without any determination. That, that we aren't planning on going to New York. We're just telling ourselves we're going to visit our friend in New York. But there's yes. a difference. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that because I, I was part of a, a personal healing journey for 30 days in July. And uh, the big takeaway from that is something that I heard this secular guru say, And I will not use the vernacular, but everyone will understand. He said, the number one thing you will have to do to break through in your issues is to stop effing lying to yourself. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And that's a new theme of my life is to stop lying to myself. And um, I often will use the effing word because it wakes me up. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. We can go, oh, yeah, I'm going to lose weight. Oh, yeah, I'm going to go on the paleo next week. Um, what, what was it? St. Augustine who said, Lord, make me chaste, but not yet. We all, we all aspire to something, but not the determination. So really important point. So eyes, intentionality, see a center. And that's as simple as this takes 20 seconds. You sit down, take a couple of deep breaths. And as you exhale each time, you just settle and sink in and you try to find your physical, emotional, spiritual center. And if you do that with men, they'll go, I don't know what you're talking about. What do you mean my spiritual center? Um, the A is attend or attentiveness. Wait, wait, you just wait. I'm on the C still. You're you're going so fast. I don't care if we don't get any farther than your acronym. Then then people will have ick. <laughs> so, <laughs> so so again, because we're gonna you said it only takes 20 seconds. So we're gonna do this with the listeners right now. We're gonna we're going to center ourselves. So please talk, talk us through it a little bit and, and then we're doing it. Yeah. Um so I'll, I'll take a moment and I'll help people to center right now. Um, and then I'd like to walk through the whole thing. And I, I tell people that the whole thing takes maybe 10 minutes on the low end, 20 minutes on the high end. And um, it's so practical and immediately impacting that it's something that you want to do, but centering. And I'm going to adjust myself in the chair. And for the Pirate Monk listeners, if you are driving any heavy machinery right now, <laughs> do not close your eyes and do not do this practice until you're by the side of the road, preferably uh, at least three feet away from the line. All right. <laughs> so you would be sitting and you would take, let's say, three deep breaths. And when you inhale, you want to take as deep a breath as possible. And then at the top of that inhale, hold it for two to three seconds. And what happens when you get to that point of a full breath and you hold it is that the oxygen runs through your system. The carbon dioxide is getting ready to be released. But then you slowly exhale like you're blowing through a straw. And you want to take as long as you can to exhale. And as you exhale, each time you settle and let your body relax and release. So go ahead and take in a deep breath and hold it. One, one thousand, two, one thousand, three, one thousand. Slowly exhale like you're blowing through a straw. And at that moment, just let your body feel loose and heavy and relaxed. Take another deep breath as full as you can and then hold it. And slowly exhale. For most people, they will they will exhale too quickly. And I try to count to 10 to see if I can exhale that slowly. And the effect of that slow exhaling is you actually feel your body beginning to let go. Almost like an elevator slowly descending from the 10th floor down to the first. I think everybody's probably done three breaths. Now, Scripture says in Ephesians 1.18, so people don't think this is some kind of New Age wacko thing. Um, And there again, you know, why the need to apologize? Because we're 
we're afraid to attend to our bodies. But scripture says, uh, my prayer is that you'd be enlightened in the eyes of your heart or that the eyes of your heart would be opened. And so close your eyes if you're comfortable and picture in your mind's eye your center. For most people, that is identified as someplace beneath their sternum or beneath their heart. For some people that are more intellectually oriented, they might their center might be like in the front of their forehead where their cortex is. Picture your physical center, your emotional center, your spiritual center. Scripture says that Christ is in you, the hope of glory. And so to find this center is the beginning of being able to align ourselves and to, uh, to become aware of that union that we have with God. And you might continue to stay in this place and just breathe normally. And your mind might get distracted and that's okay. But you've just paid attention and acknowledged that there is this part of you that is deeper than the stress that's around you, that's deeper than your cravings or lust at the minute. And uh, I believe that scripture teaches that this is the place of refuge inside of us, Uh, that this is an attentiveness to our soul and to the embodiment of our spirituality. So that's center. Yeah. That's so helpful. So helpful. If men just did that every day and that's all they did, it, for most people, it would it would take their recovery to a new level. Um, when I would teach classes consistently at Denver Seminary, I would take the first five minutes of every class, and we would do this kind of centering. And at first, students were like, come on, let's get on with the lecture. And by the halfway through, people were like, well, wait, we can't start before we do that. Mm-hmm. It focuses your mind. Um, and it allows some of the anxiety to burn off. And then for people that struggle with being out of control and wishing they would have more self-control, anytime an addict can do something that empowers them and lets them feel a sense of effectiveness, like I have a cause and effect in my life, that's a win. And so if a person's feeling stressed or even if they're disconnected from their body, there's an effectiveness and a power that you have in being able to sit down and calm. And if you were to hook yourself up to wires while you did this, um, most people will have a decreased heart rate by five to 15 uh, heartbeats. Their respirations per minute will decrease. Your blood pressure will probably decrease. And so it's a health benefit um, across the board. So listeners, those wires have to be hooked up to some medical equipment. Don't just hook yourself to wires. Uh, one thing I can see that image now (laughs) as you were talking through that one thing to me that I think is would be most helpful in my life is I couldn't think of this my center uh, even as you were saying you know Christ in me without feeling like it, it wasn't me alone at the center I had to acknowledge that he was with me there he is with me there and frankly, that is the greatest deterrent to sin in my life, uh, acknowledging that God is with me. I always have to pretend he's not watching while I sin. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah, that's so important. Well, Aaron, that's that's one of my soapboxes that I will not jump up on. But this idea of union with God, if a person is in Christ, if they belong to Christ, if they have faith in Christ, 
the idea of separation from God, uh, like heads and tails of a coin. You can't separate the head from the tail. They're both the coin. Now, that doesn't mean we are divine, but Scripture talks about this mysterious union in Christ. And if we begin to realize that we can never be separated from God, that means that in the moment of our deepest, darkest shame or apathy or fear, that attending to and becoming aware of what's already true inside of us is a massive resource and uh, source of nourishment um, that we can draw on that as we would want to turn to nourishment that is junk food and ultimately toxic, uh, I think that's what this idea of vine and branch mean. Mm. Yeah, and I think Mm. of when Isaiah says, your iniquities have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear, that can either be taken as a punitive, like, I won't be around you because you're sinning, or that unnatural attempt to separate from God so that I can sin that creates so much chaos. Yeah, um, I think that that's a verse from um, our perspective, not from God's perspective. He's putting mm-hmm. words to our experience of of turning. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So the, right. the, the we're up to A. Yeah, we've got intentionality. We've got centering. We now understand centering, and A. A is arsenic, and uh, <laughs> you just you just want to say, you know, this is hopeless. So A. A is attentiveness or attending. And um, in, in Surfing for God, I have the soul care uh, path. And it goes from our brokenness to becoming aware of our brokenness to beginning to practice soul attentiveness and then soul care. And so soul attentiveness, once you begin to center, is uh, literally paying attention to what is happening inside of me. So from that centered, calm place, emotionally, spiritually, physically, uh, I invite people to scan their body. And this is not anything I have invented. Uh, This body scan is something that somatic psychologists and therapists do and people that work with trauma do, but it can also just be a great way to relax. You close your eyes once again, and in the mind's eye or the eyes of the heart, you scan from the top of your head slowly through your temples, your cheeks, the muscles therein, your jaw, your neck, your shoulders, down through your chest, upper back, abdomen, lower back, hips, even the genitals, your thighs, your knees, your calves, your ankles, your feet, all the way out to your toes. And you simply scan and pay attention. What do you notice? What are you aware of on a sensory level? And see, most of the time we'd say, well, what are you feeling? And guys oftentimes beyond hungry, angry, uh, horny, don't know what they're feeling. But it's really easy for many men to, to say, oh, I have this knot in my chest. So during that scan, anything at all, positive, negative, just an awareness of what's there. And for me, one of the most common things is, is I just feel this tension all throughout my chest and my sternum. And uh, oftentimes I will feel tense in my jaw. I went to the dentist yesterday and I find out that I grind my teeth during the day and not just at night. Well, that's a direct result of stress and probably even more so trauma. So this attentiveness is not meant to do anything. 
but simply to bring it into our conscious awareness, which for many people will be a huge step. And for some people, it will be a surprise that they're feeling different things. Other experiences may be butterflies or anxiety or burning or a dull ache or emptiness. And you're not asking uh, them to but do, these are you're not asking them to do anything just to recognize. Recognize to become aware of and to to attend to it exactly. Okay. So the R. The R is regulate. And this would take a little bit more time, but I'll just do two very simple uh, practices. So I uh, teach men five uh, skills for this overall eye care practice, and I'm just going to do two right now. Uh, One is we've already done it, and I call it three by threes, and it's deep breathing where three times you – so there's three reps and three sets – Uh, You do three reps of the deep inhaling, holding it for three seconds, slowly exhaling like you're blowing through a straw. Let yourself relax. You breathe a second and a third time. And then you wait about a minute. You might shake your arms or just allow your arms to feel heavy, move your body around. You can even stand up and sit down. And you do a second and a third set of that breathing. And that simply helps you to regulate more concretely and at a deeper level and that's almost the beginning of a, of a practice of uh, contemplation or deep centering or beginning to, uh, to meditate, just paying attention to your, your breathing in your body. So that first regulating skill is breathing. Um, the second one, and this is going to sound really crazy, but it's called a figure eight. And the first thing I would do is have a man take a piece of paper or uh, uh, a marker or anything, and you simply draw a figure eight on its side. So it looks like the infinity symbol. And you draw that figure eight and you you go over the line about three or four times. And then after three or four times of making that figure eight, you reverse the direction. And you do that three or four times. And then you reverse the direction. And you'd simply do that on a piece of paper. That's the very first time you do this. Then sitting down with your feet flat, you would take your index finger and you would simply behind your knee with your index finger on your thigh, you would make that same horizontal figure eight like an infinity symbol on your skin and or over your pants. And um, you put light pressure and you make that infinity symbol. And after three or four times, you reverse directions And what this is doing is it's causing the brain to regulate because as you switch directions, you are using different parts of the brain and getting the left side of the brain, which is the logical, rational side of the brain, and the right side of the brain, which is the intuitive, receptive, knowing, non-data-driven part of our brain, uh, to talk to each other. And in doing this, it can also decrease anxiety, lower the heart rate, And when people in my office have trauma triggers and their body gets activated, this is one of the five things I'll do with people. And it's pretty remarkable how it can help them. And um, so you simply pay attention to that figure eight. The third thing, and I said I would only give two, is to... I just want to know, is this how you trick people into 
carving pagan runes into their bodies. Is <laughs> I know there's going to be someone that feels like there's some some witchcraft going on here. Yeah, we we always have to be aware of that because I used to be that guy where you know ev- everything was is this biblical, um, and I can't give a chapter and a and a verse for it. But what I would do is take us to Psalm one thirty nine, which is this unbelievable psalm about how deeply God knows and loves and blesses the human person, which is David, who, of course, is a really, really broken dude. If anybody else had written Psalm 139, I don't think it would mean as much. But all throughout that psalm, God blesses the body. And then he he culminates it in verse 13 or 12, where he says, I knit you together in your mother's womb. And guess what the guess what the thread was? The thread was human cellular material body. So um, I would just direct somebody to Psalm 139, and uh, God made our brain in this way so that we can do things to alter the effects of the fall and independence from God. And if um, you need to make it more spiritual, just go to Revelation. God says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. So you're really just tracing God's symbol into the back of your leg. Which of That's course right. also <laughs> tattoos on his thighs, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So it's totally biblical writing on thighs. So just shut up. <laughs> yeah, and, and we're not we're not proof texting at all. <laughs> <laughs> all right. The third exercise. The third well, exercise yeah. is just uh, uh, Ephesians one eighteen uh, that that we see in the eyes of our heart, and I will ask men to find a safe place or a place of peace in their present life or in their past. And for many men, it's a chair that they sit in on their deck, or it's a a place at the beach when they were little, or a tree fort where they would go and they would feel safe. And you simply imagine that, and you hold that image in your mind's eye, and then you take your hands with your feet flat on the floor, and this is something called resource tapping. You take your feet, put them flat on the floor, and and you take your hands, palm down, and place them on your thigh just behind your kneecap. And then you tap back and forth in, a, in an every other way fashion. So you would tap right, tap left, tap right, tap left on your thigh behind your kneecap while you hold this positive, peaceful image or place in your mind. And what this does is it also lowers anxiety. It gets the left and right brain talking. This is called bilateral stimulation. And while you are focusing on this safe place, what it does is it teaches your brain that when there is a threat or danger or stress, that you can actually contain that. And the brain reads safety and begins to calm down. And this becomes a kind of um, defense against... Uh, compulsive lust and responding to the anxiety and the dysregulation in our body. So that's the R. And then I can do the E very quickly. Okay. What's the E? (laughs) The E is engage. So intention, center, attend, regulate, and engage. And the engage has two parts to it. Um, I encourage men to, on their tablet, even on their phone, Uh, or in a 99-cent journal from the drugstore, to simply write out what they just experienced. So, for example, I 
sat down and I was feeling really anxious and ready to get on with my day. But at the end of two minutes, I was able to kind of focus myself and get centered. And I became aware of uh, this knot in my chest. That's A, of the engage part. B, is what do I need to engage with today that is life-giving? Yes. And, you know, so all of addiction is the false pursuit of, of life. And so what's life-giving might be, um, I need to go home and say to my wife, I know you're really, really busy, but I've just been missing you and really lonely. Can we just sit down and talk? Or I need to go for a run, or I need to make sure I go to bed early tonight, or um, I'm going to take a lunch break today at work. It could be something very, very small that, again, is just a proactive step that's not about suppressing lust, but as Bonhoeffer said, reorienting our life to a larger goal. Boy, that's beautiful. You have just given us uh, some real gold here, Michael. So do you have them do that in a row or is that throughout the day? If I want to eye care for myself. Yeah, I, I encourage people to start it once a day at a time when they can pretty reliably do it. You know, and I was discipled with, you know, Jesus got up in the morning and went off to pray and therefore you have to get up at 4 a.m. and have your quiet time. And, you know, most people don't fit into that mold. This could be sitting in the parking lot before you go into your office every morning or every afternoon. You know, I know a lot of men, a huge trigger for them is going from work into the home, especially if they have young kids and a wife that's exhausted. So this could be something really important to do before you go into the home as a transition. Uh, if you can do it more than once a day, great. But I, I like to start uh, setting ourselves up for success. So I just want to point out that the, the, the answer, the, the I care was in answer to what is the third way between mastering or indulging. And so I just want to point out that this third way takes as much discipline as the mastering version. It's just not up and against. It's for you, not against you. It's toward something good and beautiful that goes back to Nate's quote mm -hmm. instead of just focusing on the darkness. But it does take discipline. It does take mastery. Mm. It's just a different yeah. direction, right? I mean, how would you, because I, I don't want to feel like we're pulling a fast one on people. No, absolutely. Uh, I, I, you know, I used to be called Captain Discipline by my, by my friends. I, I lived my faith the first five years or so really through, through discipline and flexing my muscles and gritting my teeth. And I believe that that's how I would overcome my shame and my sin. And um, I abandoned all discipline at one point because I thought, you know, I'm just, I'm not going to go there. And for me, that was a necessary season because what happened was something uh, deeper rose up in me. And that was that I actually want to love God. I actually want to obey him. I actually want to love others. And I got in touch with the want to instead of the have to. But I've reintegrated the word discipline in my life. And um, I because that word is a trigger for many people, and I think many men need to dismantle their commitment to discipline. Because it was, it was David Benner, the psychologist, that said that discipline is a wonderful servant, but a terrible master. And if, if discipline is going to be your master, then that's the new addiction. So I like to call it a practice. And a practice is something that you do just that, you practice. And, you know, somebody who picks up a violin on day one is not going to play, uh, you know, 
some some great concerto. Uh, and so you fumble with this and and learn it and have days where you don't do it or you forget about it and give yourself grace. I think that this practice of eye care develops in us a sense of self-compassion and kindness to ourselves, which God revealed in Jesus really invites us to give to ourselves. Most of us are far, far more judgmental and harsh on ourselves than any member of the Trinity is. And so this becomes a way to begin to develop that compassion. So possibly, um, I think if you do this three days a week, it could begin to make a difference. And then you start to see, wow, there's something I can do beyond just resisting. So the goal is to recognize I already have lots of practices in my life. I pick up the newspaper every day and read it. I get home from work and turn on the TV. These are all practices. And I would say I do them because I enjoy them. So the goal is to, to become like your class where you force them to do it because you're the teacher and you could. But then somewhere along the line, like turning on the TV or picking up the paper, this is just a practice that I do because it is good and I enjoy it. And it yeah, absolutely. Awesome. And then and then um, the 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 part about our will and our determination uh, is not about flexing our muscles, but about becoming something. And if I can just insert back to this whole idea of what Jay Stringer wrote about about the erotic. Um, the, the book that I'm ever so slowly writing has a large section about our misunderstanding of Eros. And um, originally, Eros, of course, had a sexual element to it. And we often hear about the three or the four loves of agape, storge, phileo, and Eros. And we kind of write off Eros as, well, that's the, that's the sexual love between a husband and wife. But going all the way back to the Greeks, Eros had to do with a... Uh, energy, a life force that had an embodied aspect to it, but a single person is meant to be highly erotic. Uh, Someone once said, and I cannot track this down, that Mother Teresa was the most erotic person they had ever been around. Now, you know, unless she was wearing something skimpy under her nun's outfit and they had x-ray glasses, I don't think they were referring to sex or sexuality in the traditional sense. But if Eros is a life force that is meant to come up and out of us to, to generate, to, uh, mm. to enhance, to flourish, to expand, which is God's kingdom in and through us, then anybody can do that. Now, here's the contrast to Eros, and this is where it starts to click for men. Eros is the life force And then there's something called Thanatos that the Greeks talked about, and that is an energy of death. If people know the word euthanasia, that means good death. And so the word Thanatos is uh, simply death, and Thanatos is this energy or life force. And so this sounds very fundamentalist, and I'm usually not a black and white guy, but that everything we do is either a force of eros or it's a force of Thanatos, and there's very little in between. Now, as we live Eros, we're also modeling agape, and we are engaging in phileo, and we are um, uh, able to live in storge, those four different dimensions of love. But I, 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 I feel like this is one of the things as men begin to understand this, that our masculine strength 
that our desire to actually move toward a woman and ravish her, that there is a godly, legitimate energy there that's not just about the sexual desire, but I'm meant to move toward her to create, to expand, to flourish. And then our masculine energy becomes something that is uh, uh, not just a virtue, but a blessing yeah. Uh, because we're going somewhere with it. We're, we're, we're planting seed, whether emotionally, relationally, or spiritually. I love the idea of bringing that kind of eros into the erotic, because then sex becomes far less selfish than we make it. We're bringing mm-hmm. life, bringing forth life in our energy, our person, who God's made us to be, even in sexuality with our spouse. That mm-hmm. it's not what I'm taking from her or what she owes me. Yeah, and I would I would argue that with pornography in particular and all sexual addiction, that we're engaging in the erotic without the energy of eros. It's Thanatos that is fueling us, and it becomes erotic. So uh, a, a person can can have intercourse with someone, and that there's no life energy there, but that it's highly charged with feeling and sensation and maybe even passion but there's good passion and bad passion. Mm. Wow. Wow. Well, uh, listeners, if you would like to, uh, to get some more of Michael's wisdom and more of a practical, a lived experience, a taste of uh, what he's talking about, a great opportunity coming up is the surfing for God weekend. Uh, yeah, I was a part of one last year. It was a tremendous experience. I'm looking forward to doing again this year. Just at the end of September 2018, I'll be out in Colorado with Michael for the Surfing of God weekend. What are the dates, Michael? September 27th through the 30th, and that's a Thursday night through Sunday. All right. And uh, how can listeners, uh, oh, first of all, are there some still spaces available? We have a few spots left, and there are three days remaining to get the early bird rate where you save 251 bucks. Uh, for most guys, that'll cover a big chunk of a flight. And of course, uh, uh, room and board and lodging are all covered in that. Uh, but if men want to find out more about it, and, and it's important to say, Nate, that, uh, and you know this because as you staffed it before and will be this time, this is not a retreat. This is a uh, therapeutic weekend where men will be able to go deep into uh, trauma, brokenness, and whatever is beneath the surface of the compulsive, addictive, sinful behaviors that they're battling. And for many men, uh, this becomes a breakthrough, pivotal turning point in their weekend. But more information at restoringthesoul.com forward slash weekend. All right. Well, thank you so much, Michael. I know how busy you are. I'm so grateful that you carved out some time to talk with us and with our listeners. Thank you guys for having me on. And Nate, I look forward to seeing you in about four weeks. Oh, yeah. I can't wait. And we'll okay. be right back here on the Pirate Bunk Podcast.
Well, we're back here on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Uh, always such a stimulating, informative, uh, inspiring conversation when Michael drops in for a visit. Hey, I want to I want to mention a resource for our listeners. Sure, because he was zipping through those four Greek words for love and yeah. saying things like you know we're doing eros and then we filet each other and I realized that <laughs> like filleting each other. <laughs> it's important that we get this straight. Um, the, the best resource, uh, and I, I burned it from ca- some cassette tapes. I believe it's the only recording of C.S. Lewis's voice is him talking through the four Greek loves, which is a book. You can get the book, mm-hmm. but if you can find the audio, because C.S. Lewis sounds exactly like you would expect C.S. Lewis to sound. Okay. Orge is the kind of love, you know, that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but he'll explain, you know, phileo, Philadelphia, brotherly love, agape, oh, agape love, God's love, storge, the love of the familiar, eros. We talked about some today, but it's it's important for us to understand this is you know, love is this most important thing. We got mm. faith, hope, and love, and the greatest is love. But we just have one word that yeah. encompasses so many of these aspects. So I think it's actually really awesome and practical and helpful for all of us to break it down like the Greek language did and understand yeah. how we're experiencing this greatest of things. All right. Uh, do you think it's possible, Aaron, that you could find uh, a link to that audio resource, maybe included in the show notes? I will try. And if okay. I if I can't find it, am I allowed to just like upload my uh, ripped copies from the cassette tapes I had back in the late nineties? Sure. Why not? Why not? <laughs> Copyright okay. infringement. Be damned. <laughs> we'll try to get you this stuff. Oh, it's it's got to be it's got to be uh, eminent uh, uh, public domain by now. I would you hope. Think. And if it's not C.S. Lewis, you come on over. I'll fight you. Let's see how <laughs> that goes. Staples <laughs> and a fool's name, Clive. Let's go. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, before we go, listeners, we'd love to hear from you. Comments, questions, uh, uh, pushback, suggestions. You can reach us at. Pirate Monk Podcast at gmail.com. Well, I think we're done. We done, Aaron? Yeah. And can I just mention, I didn't hear any uh, weed whacking, mowing. I didn't see the anxiety and fury in your face. Yeah. Yeah. That's because I cut him down to twice a month. <laughs> okay. So, no, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, until next time, I'm Nate. I'm Aaron. And we are your pals on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Arrgh.